Scene 2. At around 2 p.m., I called her and reconfirmed the date. This time, my had shrunk and my blood pressure low. I headed off to Ngong Road to meet a few bastards before I venture into what I reckoned would be a venerable phase of my life. At a plush restaurant, I bumped into a colleague and three somewhat clumsy ladies. One was as slim as a toothpick, the other was as dark black as Robert Mugabe, and the third in between. Brilliant, but without a face to match her big, functional brains. They were drinking some mojito, a concoction made of hard drinks, ginger leaves, city council water, and other strange compounds. Maybe Viagra. After I negotiated myself a bottle of white cap, we continued chatting like randy adolescents. Previously, on case number zero. Now, wait, Bokongo Bosire is missing. Well, you know Bokongo Bosire? Uh, no, he's not missing. Where is he? He's somewhere. Are you yeah, sure? He's not missing. No. I, I, think, I, think, I think Kenya has honestly... Ask Kitumbi. I think Kenya has honestly... Ask Kitumbi. said he doesn't know where he is. Really? Yes. Hata hiyo sibu wali disappeared. Mimi hali nipata tuwa kwa hivi. Hila lunchtime walikuwa nakuja kufuta feki. Halikuwa somehow nakaa. Somehow disturbed kitoko. Kabuta feki moja, wakaniambia. Basically, while I was still in London, I got telephone messages, got text messages from a good mutual friend who said, where is this man Bosire? And initially, I, I sort of dismissed it as, you know, maybe the guy is looking for Bosire, he's not replying to his calls or anything. Then when it got persistent, second day, so I jokingly, I told the guy, what do you think? Do you think I brought him in my suitcase to London? I'm in London, he's obviously in Nairobi. I must have been among the last people to see him. If Bogongo can disappear, what about you? Less than thousand people know of his disappearance. What about us? What about me for doing this video? You may remember from our first episode that when Bogongo went missing, a lot of people were expecting Denis Situmbi his best friend at the time, and a high-ranking government official with access to every state machinery then, to have answers. At the time of Bogonko's disappearance, Denis Situmbi was the director of Digital and Diaspora at State House Nairobi, a position he assumed when Jubilee government came to office in 2013. Bogonko Bosire had played a major role as well in conversing for Jubilee through his blog, The Jackal News. When he disappeared, a lot of people expected Denis Itumbi to have answers. Many were dismissive of the claims that Bogonko was missing. They could not understand how he could just disappear when he had friends in high places. Kenya, as we know, is a country that operates on Kujuana. If you know people, 
then your safety and your future is guaranteed. Bogonko knew people. His closest friend, Dennis Itumbi, worked for the government of the day and was a regular figure at State House, the house on the hill where Kenya's presidents call home. Because of that relationship and how close Bogonko's friends were to power and were wielding power, many people assumed that Bogonko's safety was guaranteed. In fact, this assumption led others to even believe that Bogonko had apparently escaped the country under the protection of the government or with the help of some of his friends in high places. It is here the claims of Bogonko being in Nigeria, Zimbabwe, or some other country finds a premise. No less than his family actually believes this to be true. Here is Bogonko's younger brother telling us what he thinks and really believes to be true. Maybe aliana kujificha Nigeria kwanza. Sasa nasikia ako Zimbabwe, mara nasikia ako Congo. Unfortunately, this assumption derailed his search. As days, weeks, months, and years went by, it was clear that the search for Bogonko had gone cold, or even not taken seriously at all by authorities in the first place. The country had moved on, his friends in high places had moved on, his disappearance was a subject matter that either confused friends or made people really uncomfortable. How does a very well-known blogger disappear without a trace? Vincho, what was your experience in 2015 in the course of searching for your friend? And do we have any new leads? Well, when I interviewed Bogonko's friends and family in 2015, most of them insisted that the only person with answers as to what happened to Bogonko was Dennis Itumbi. Like everyone, including Muhammad Ali and Dennis Onsarigo, who at the time were like the top investigative journalists in Kenya. Bogonko worked closely with Dennis Itumbi to the run-up of the 2013 general elections. In fact, um, when we heard that Bogonko had gone missing, we set up a WhatsApp group and a Facebook account to try and have him located. And luckily, or coincidentally, Dennis Itumbi happened to be in this WhatsApp group because um, this was a WhatsApp group for um, classmates, my classmates, and Itumbi was one of them. And for weeks, there was a flurry of activity trying to have him located. The fact that weeks later, this died down got me thinking that someone somewhere was not keen on having Bogonko Bosire traced or located. Because Dennis Itumbi is in government. And I thought because of his proximity to power, and I think, I still think so, he should be in a position to try and have this man located. At his disposal is the intelligence system. He can push for Bogonko to be located, but this has not happened. I have a bad feeling that something bad might have happened to Bogonko Bosire. 
I have a feeling also that there's laxity on the part of government to try and have this man located. I remember the days when we could be thrown off the scent by people saying that Bogonko is somewhere in, um, in Zimbabwe. And you ask yourself, what could this man be doing in this African country? There are times when they used to tell us that Bogonko was spotted somewhere in where? In central Kenya, in the company of a young woman whose identity we have never even gotten to know up until now. I think Dennis Itumbi owes us an explanation. Dennis Itumbi owes us at least an answer about the whereabouts of Bogonko Bosiri. He owes us that. Tumi is my personal friend. Bogonko was my good friend. Uh, I don't have a question for Tumi, but I have a comment for him. We need to get Bogonko now. Yes. And I've told him, I have called him before, and I've told him, Dennis, you need to get us Bogonko. You know where he is. Get us Bogonko Bosiri today. That's Dennis on Sarigo. I can always see Dennis Tumi posting things regarding Bogonko Bosire, his efforts looking for Bogonko. You know, there's that nice phrase that I liked that it, it will be likes putting on, we are, I don't know, dwellers or whatever. There's something that was written in Bogonko's door when I was at KMC. So I can see Tumbi is trying to look for Bogonko, but I think uh, as a friend, maybe he knows the worries and frustrations of Bogonko. Maybe Bogonko told it to me something as a close friend, that I'm frustrated about this, I'm afraid about this and that. So he's a friend. We can't say that he knows everything about him because some friends are, you know, they are guarded with information. But yes, I will ask him what did they discuss the last time they saw? Did he know who employed Bogonko? What was his feeling when Bogonko posted uh, the name of the ICC witness. Dennis, being a journalist, what was his feeling? Was uh, Bogonko right? If he thought he was wrong, did he pick up the phone and call him and tell him that, uh, Bogonko, I think this is a serious issue, you shouldn't do that, pull down the whatever? Those nitty-gritty issues that all friends could ask each other, I think that's what I'm asking. Dennis Onsarigo and Mohamed Ali made their mark as investigative journalists. In their line of work, they had covered several cases of missing persons. Bogonko's case was personal to them because he was a fellow scribe. This one hit differently because they knew Bogonko and crossed paths quite often. But it is not just the journalists who were demanding answers. Bogonko's sister made a passionate plea to Itumbi, asking him to reveal the whereabouts of her brother. His best friends, those that he used to stay with, to work with, and to socialize with. I think they must be having a clue. For example, even if you look at his Facebook, whatever, before he disappeared, Dennis Itumbi. And Dennis Itumbi is the closest person who should at least tell us where he is. 
vitumbi shida at least tusaidie sana we miss our brother we really miss him dearly dearly Vincho, it seems that everyone is pointing fingers at Itumbi because he was Bogonko's friend and a close associate. But was there a cause for suspicion? It was not suspicion per se. It was the expectation that Itumbi, who was a state employee with substantial influence, could have produced Bogonko if he wanted to. That and the fact that the people who had seen them together in the final days insisted that Bogonko had changed and therefore Itumbi could have been privy to crucial information. I met Bogonko um, a few days before the 2013 general elections at Giggles and again another popular joint and it was in the company of um, and Dennis Itumbi. I think I, I remember telling my friend we might have been among the last people to have seen Bogonko just weeks before he disappeared. And when I met him this time, Bogonko was, was different. Bogonko looked very, very different. Bogonko looked brushed up. Denis Situmbi and Bogonko's friendship began in college, to be precise, 20 years ago. The two met as students at Kenya Institute of Mass Communication, or KMC, between 2000 and 2003. By the time of Bogonko's disappearance, they had been friends for over 13 years. So the first question is the easiest. Our producer, uh, Vinchon Chogu, set up this interview with Dennis Itumbi in 2015. When and how did you meet Bossier? Well, I met him on my first day in college. It's quite an interesting day, but uh, when I met Bosire, he's the one who showed me where I was going to spend that night. I arrived in college on a Friday. I could not make it to go through all the clearances in school, so I didn't get a place to sleep. Neither did he have somewhere to sleep. So we spent, we crashed our first day at the watchman's at the gate. That's why we crashed. No mattress, nothing. We just slept on the floor, literally. And uh, is that when like your friendship began? Let's talk about your friendship. Wow, yeah. I think that's when we struck our first bond. He was completely broke. I was not doing well either. I just arrived in Nairobi. Um, I had a thousand bob on me as my pocket money in my transport. I got lost in Nairobi because I couldn't trace. I'd been told when I arrived in Nairobi I was going to South B. So in my mind I drew, I used to graze cattle. So I put saliva on my hand, hit it, and it gave me south as directly to Hull Park, went to Gong Road Avenue 2. So I took a cab when I got lost completely. So I paid 300 and I was left with about 400. So that weekend we spent I, the only money we had between the two of us was the 400 shillings that was in my pocket. So we spent it, we, we spent the 400 eating all manner of foods that I, I can't even remember. But I remember buying meat for 20 bob somewhere, I don't really recall where, and we struck our friendship then. We, we knew one thing that was common about us is that we were, our, both our mothers were teachers, so we used to call ourselves sons of teachers. And then after that, we got allocated rooms. He got a room at the corner, and I got a room at what would have been the sitting room of that house. And ever since, even if he was doing production and I was doing journalism, we became and grew as very good friends. Became our way of life. And I remember on his door, he had this remarkable inscription 
that dwellers of the city do not understand the feelings of the village hunter. Hmm. So Itumbi is aware that the whole country is asking him questions about the disappearance of his best friend. Vincho, uh, let's get back to you. How easy was it to set this interview with Itumbi? Surely, he must have been excited by the opportunity to clear his name and tell his side of the story. It was not easy to pin down Itumbi. Our listeners might remember um, that in 2013, he wrote a lengthy Facebook post in which he detailed the sequence of Bogonko's movements uh, during his final week. That Facebook post was a result of pressure that was mounting on him in a private Facebook group, which constituted mainly of Bogonko's former college mates. In that group, Itumbi assured us that he was in communication with the family, that he had contacted DCA industrial area, and he had pressured them to work on Bogonko's case. So when I called him in 2015, my main goal was to find out how far the DCA had gone in finding out what had happened to Bogonko and to see if there's anything his family or friends could do to facilitate uh, further investigations. In 2015, Itumbi was a big shot. He always traveled with the president, and by the time I was calling him, he did not have much time. Time was not on my side either. I was in Kenya for two weeks in pre-production for a Brazilian film that was to be shot in for African countries. So we both had to agree on a time that fit into my production schedule and his work schedule. That week, when I called him, he told me that he was in Tanzania with the president. So I offered to fly to Tanzania and meet him. As I was about to book my flight to Dar, he called me and said that he will be in Nairobi the following week. And could I make it work? Wait, wait, wait. So, so you were in the midst of an international production? I had no choice but to make it work. And if I'm not wrong, uh, this was your first time back in Kenya in almost five years. Explain to me, why, why was this interview so crucial that you even risked your job in the other production? You know, Bogonko is more like a brother to me. And I know if I had disappeared in Kenya or in the U.S. or anywhere in the world, really, Bogonko would have made so much noise that everyone would know I'm missing. He would have mobilized funds and resources to find me. And, and he would do this for any one of his friends, really. So for two years, his disappearance weighed heavy on me. I felt helpless because I was miles away and I depended majorly on news that I could get uh, via phone or Facebook or the family to know what's happening to his case. So when I had a chance to interview the one person who might have a clue as to what might have happened to him, but also the one person who worked for the government and might have the resources to push this forward, I had no choice but to put my production work on hold and make it work. Okay, this that makes sense. Um, so, what was the setup like? Where did you guys do this interview with Itumbi? The interview took place at uh, Dennis Itumbi's house. On the day of the interview, my friend Wanjiro Cairo, the filmmaker, drove us there. Um, with me was uh, Pengi Mbiyu, Bogonko's deskmate, uh, Kit Nyaga, Bogonko's friend, and 
uh, also we went to college together, and a cameraman that I had hired uh, to film the interview. I remember on that day, um, Dennis Tumi had to be at the airport to procure the president. So we had a short window to do the interview, and we did the interview as soon as possible. The interview was quite a revelation on the friendship between Itumbi and Bogongo. In the interview, we see their relationship evolve from acquaintances to close confidants. Bogongo confided in Itumbi about his work, his ambition, and above all, his idea of a dream girl, sharing with him intimate details of his crushes. We asked Itumbi if Bogongo had plans of starting a family. He wanted to take a trip to 10 countries to look for one-legged woman. He had, uh, he had not gotten one yet. Then he, he wanted to kiss on top of Mount Kilimanjaro to achieve his fantasy of kissing on a mountain. And then he, his views about marriage were, <laughs> they were not quite clear. Because uh, at one point he argued uh, marriage is like a banana. Plant it, grow, get a green bit, then you cut it, then you ripen. So in other words, get married, divorce, and then now get married properly. So that was his view. But for him to get, why he referred to marriage as a banana is because he felt, first, banana represented where he came from, and then two, he felt that the only way he would satisfy, he would satisfy his dream about, about his one-legged woman is by visualizing the banana because it's actually one-legged. So, and then did he, have, did he have a dream about family and kids? Not one he shared. But from his writings, it didn't seem like he wanted to have uh, Bogonkonets. He appeared to be, but he was good with kids. I mean, every time we went to, uh, we went to say like Safari Sevens, like one I went with him, and there was this kid who, was, who had gotten lost in the at Stadium, and you were Bogonko picking him up, and uh, taking you up to the police station and explaining that he had picked the kid. So I think on that one basis, if that, if, and I'm not an authority on that, I think he was good with kids. Through Itumbi, we came to learn that he had other crushes as well. And some of them were media personalities. I remember when I came driving after news and picking Bogonko outside Hilton every day to drop him home. He had an absolute crush on the girl and Bogonko would write an entire poem every day. On Mwenda Kegora, he never typed it. He literally wrote it by hand. And anytime Bogonko wrote anything by hand, he meant it. He, it was passionate and personal. So I remember he, had, he could describe every single part, including the fingernails, but there was one problem. Bogonko always wanted a girl who was one-legged. That was his fantasy. <laughs> this guy is a character, man. The idea of his ideal woman being one-legged is amusing. But when you really think about it, Bogonko was a man who spoke in metaphors. This might not be literal. My interpretation of this was that Bogonko wanted an imperfect woman who would just be perfect for him. He wasn't chasing conventional beauty. He wanted a woman with depth in spite of her imperfections. Uh, Vincho, did you get to speak to any of his girlfriends? Unfortunately, I did not. 
I tried, but I did not. What I can confirm is that for years he was crushing on Mwenda Kyogora. He confided in me about this crush. To be clear, it was evident that Mwenda did not feel the same way. I feel that Bogonko went through periods of crushes. Like before Mwenda Kyogora, he was crushing on his deskmate Peggy. Okay, at that time I knew Bogonko. I mean, when we were in school, I didn't know that Bogonko was even dating anyone. Although he, he said he had a crush on me. But the way he was treating me, I was like, how can you even like me if you're treating me this way, you know? I have heard from many people that whenever he crushed on girls, he was mean to them. And just talk about mixed signals. Social life actually go very fun. Because I come up with a name. of all the girls Bugonko crashed on, only one reached out to his family in the wake of his disappearance. She was also the only girl to have met Elkana, his brother. Any girl to have met a family member of his, really. Girlfriend, girlfriend the more we interviewed Itumbi, the more we established how deep their friendship was. Itumbi described yet another side of Bogonko that we have not heard from anyone else. He told us that Bogonko had an air of arrogance that rubbed people the wrong way. He also told us that there is nothing Bogonko wouldn't do. He wore women's clothes and tried on wigs. I think it's the style of his arrogance. He confessed he was arrogant and confessed he has no apologies to make because he came from Kisi, not from Nairobi. By the way, his first interview, he went to an interview with a hipster. I mean, he's, I don't know, like, those things, those tight women things you wear. And he he was on a blouse. Oh, he had, like, five blouses which he went with no, on a normal day to work. So Bogoko had uh, had a life of his own. I mean, he 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 did he did those things you guys do. He pumped his hair. He, 
he tried at one time some slight threads but which were lines he tried a weave at one time i mean he, he was his own so there's if you got mad at bogongo you're getting mad at yourself do you think he was gay okay well i don't think he was gay i do not think he was gay I, he was actually not gay i i think i've uh, one or two moments where I have cause to believe you was gay. In any case, he loved his women. He was looking for one leg to one. So he he just like he just did things because he wanted to do, and it didn't like conform at all. Yeah, yeah, he 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 believed in the unconventional. He believed he had come to the world to participate on his space, and he jealously guarded his space. I think he he did well for the time that he lived on that space. Bogonko was unorthodox. Uh, rules did not apply to him. He did what he pleased. Just as Bogonko confided in Itumbi about his crushes, when he lost his job at AFP, he reached out to his friend of over 13 years to help him raise capital for a venture, Jackal News. And, and this is according to Itumbi. When he was starting Jackal News, he did not intend it to be a news to be a journalism news website. He intended it to be a breaking news website. But having a, being Bogonko, having gone through it, he decided to start a Huffington Post. That was his idea. But that too did not work. He struggled with digital media for about six months. And then at that time, he was also battling alcoholism. So as friends, we took him to Parklands for a rehab, which lasted for about four weeks. He came back stronger. Then we, we did a small fundraising helped him get a small office, and uh, he started Jaconius. And uh, Jaconius was an immediate hit, because before then, no one was covering journalists. Journalists were only used to covering other people. But here now, as a person covering who is dating who in newsrooms, who wrote what story, who is being fired, who is moving from what station to which station, who is earning what, and uh, how, much, how, much, how much loans do they have. Very intuitive. And so this website, Jaconius, acted as an avatar for Bogonko Bosire. He believed it was an extension of him. He picked fights with the Kenyan media and media personalities frequently. He took slanted political views and was happy to make political enemies as well. At the time of his disappearance, he was in the middle of writing a story about a girl who had been made pregnant by a sitting MP. Again, this is according to Itumbi's long post in 2013. Please mark this because it is important for later. Everyone would call Bogonko for tips. People trying to settle scores with other colleagues and or business partners would give him stories. Bogonko then became a walking police station where people reported all manner of social ills. If you like, the man had transitioned from filing copies at AFP, to owning the news at Jackal News. Some of his friends, who were close to him and still had the courage of telling him off, tried to warn him of the dangers of his Jackal News. Here is Carol Kimutai. Right from KMC, we used to have what we call a bittersweet. We used to tell each other the truth. So we, we carried uh, along that relationship. Until uh, he came back, he was in AFP, is it AFP or F, uh, French, the French place. He came back to Kenya. Uh, then even when he was setting up Jacko News, I was supposed to be part of it. But 
Bogonko is Bogonko. He just put his madness in it. And I said, you know, I'm going to support from far. I'm going to read and I'm going to tell you the bullshit you're doing or saying and what it is. But I used to tell him, you're going to get your balls castrated. In the next episode, we dig deeper into the activities of Jackal News and investigate if his blog might have something to do with his disappearance. Next time on Case Number Zero. I think Bongo's trouble started when uh, he named, I don't know if you saw his blog when he said that uh, uh, he mentioned the ICC witness who appeared on TV giving evidence. I think that's when his problem started. If you have any tips or questions and even suggestions about this story series that you are currently running about the disappearance of Bogonko Bosire, you can email us at casenumberzero at gmail.com or find us on our social media pages. Case Number Zero is hosted by me, James Smart, Additional Reporting, Vinchon Chogu, Production House, Supersonic Africa, Sound Engineer, Muna Chuba, Video Editor, Sharon Ongayo, Theme Music, Brian Sigu, Voice Artist, Yafesi Musoke, Producers, Vinchon Chogu, and James Smart. Consultant to producers, Abdullah Iboru. Impact producer, May Lebo. Script consultants, Chachi Lotieno and Monica Ndogo. If you like case number zero, leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and subscribe to get new episodes as soon as they drop. Sunny, feel.